Mac Power Users, episode 354, MPU Plus, recorded in October of 2018. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside my pal David Sparks. Hello, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. Can't believe we're almost to the end of October. Almost to the end of October. I can't wait for the end of October. We'll, we'll talk more about that later, but uh, exciting things again happening. We thought September was busy. It looks like October is going to be another busy month, too. Are you going to dress up for Halloween, You know, like when you give out candy? Do you do that? No. So I will tell you one of the things that I'm I'm very sad about. Um, it is my niece's first Halloween, which I'm very excited about. She's going to be dressing up. I'm very excited about that. But um, I get no, I have no children in my neighborhood that I moved in. Uh, not not a single one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I'm at the very back. You know, no no trick or treaters. What about if the gators come by? You know, the gators want something. Sometimes they do. They wander by, but um, you know, they're they're not. You're not supposed to feed them chocolate. They're kind of like dogs in that respect. You could have like a. Like a a shopping bag full of poodles or Just, chickens, they, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I have a uh, a couple of years ago. I talked about on the show about how I had that NASA flight suit that I got when I was like six or seven years old when we went to Florida, and how I loved it. And my I think I was telling my wife about it, and word got around. My sister got me for Christmas multiple years ago an adult size NASA flight suit. You know, just the the jumpsuit. Yeah, because that's that's something that you can use regularly. Oh, yeah. I put it on every year when I hand out candy. I'll, now the kids like are expecting it. They're like, ah, this is where the spaceman is. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about MPU Plus for October. Uh, you want to get started? What's on your mind this month? Yes. So follow up of what's what's on my mind. Um, I was telling my tale of woe on the last MPU Plus about my uh, my hated MacBook Pro, this 2016 MacBook Pro that I've just never quite loved. Um, you know, it seems to have had problem after problem. It started off on a bad leg with me. The very first one right out of the box kept having issues and immediately went back to Apple within its first 14 days of life and they swapped it out. Um, and then we had some more problems with it a couple of months ago that required an entire nuke and pave because it wouldn't boot up and nothing could happen. Um, and then I was having these problems where it would just randomly turn off. Like I would leave it for a couple of hours and I would come back and it would be off and it would say your, your computer unexpectedly shut down. And I had pretty much through process of elimination tracked this down to a USB-C slash Thunderbolt 3 type issue. Um, I was pretty sure that was where it came from. And I had just been waiting for to get out of the Mojave beta and waiting to get to a good point where I could go ahead and send it in for service. And uh, had a pretty good experience with uh, Apple service and support. So I called them on a, uh, I don't remember, I called them right after we recorded a Mac Power Users, I think. I think I called them on a Wednesday and had a box at my door by uh, the weekend Sent it off for service, uh, dropped it off on to FedEx um, on my way into the office on Monday. And by Thursday, the computer was back at my door, um, pretty much completely swapped out. Everything that I anticipated was going to happen was going to happen. You know, Apple sends you a little um, piece of paper telling them, telling you what they did. They said that my uh, logic board was swapped and that my uh, hard drive was swapped out. So, of course, I had none of my data. I will tell you that I either think that I got a new computer or they probably swapped out the bottom case too, because I noticed I had just a little bit of um, a few little nicks from where you where you plug in the uh, USB-C um, dongles on the side, and um, those are not there anymore. So 
I, I don't know. Maybe they replaced the bottom case or the top case or whatever case it is. But I would not surprise me if this is not the same computer that I that I sent in. But who knows? It takes I think the way everything is so integrated anymore. I think quite often you get a lot more pieces than you think you would need when you get it fixed. Right. But regardless, the Apple Care, when I was talking to them on the phone, uh, the guy said, you know, based on what you're describing and everything that you did, he said, my hunch is that I, I think you've got a short somewhere on the logic board in your with your USB um, on on the USB bus. He's like, that's kind of what I think is going on. And I said, you know, that that makes sense. Um, and so that's not an official diagnosis. You know, they never tell you actually what was wrong with it. They just tell you the pieces that they swapped out. So we'll see. Um, but so, I, so it came back. <laughs> it came back. Um, and it has done it once in two weeks since then. I, at this point, am willing to chalk up once to a fluke. I mean, that could have been anything that happened, you know, some software update or something installed overnight. I don't know. But in a, in two weeks, it's done it once. And so knock on wood, I'm going to I'm gonna consider that uh, a success. So before it was doing it daily, right? It was doing it daily, sometimes multiple times a day. Um, I will tell you that since talking about this tale of woe on MPU, I have gotten, I would say, at least a half dozen people have uh, pinged me on Twitter or uh, sent me an email telling me that they have had similar things happen. Um, several people told me, kind of the equivalent of you're holding it wrong, that um, I had too much stuff plugged into the USB bus or that I had stuff plugged in in my USB bus in the wrong order or that I just needed to unplug everything from the computer before I let it sit for extended periods of time. Um, and that they had been through this similar, similar rigmarole, and that was the solution that they had come up with. And um, I appreciate that. I, I don't discount what you're saying. I think that's probably true. But I'm sorry, that's just not acceptable. You know, I'm not doing anything with this computer that I shouldn't, you know, that is out of spec or that is not normal. Um you know, my computer should be able to sit on my desk and uh, power a monitor and power a USB hub and be plugged into power at the same time. I don't think those are unrealistic expectations to ask for it at the same time. And and for as much as a MacBook Pro costs, you shouldn't have to unplug things before you go to bed. Right. But for whatever reason, it is working now. Um, I did think that this was a good opportunity to talk a little bit about um, – uh, the process of removing and securing your data before you're sending a Mac in for service and any security concerns that that might raise. Because um, I was very fortunate in that I didn't have an emergent issue that I had to send this computer in for. It wasn't like my computer was just dead one day and I had to send it into Apple. Um, I had time to prepare before I sent my computer in. But, you know, I have confidential information and files that I, I keep on this computer that I use for work and that I have a, a duty to keep confidential. Um, what, what do you do if you're in a position like this to protect the data on your computer? Now, I will say, and I'm not trying to get all conspiracy theory, that in general, I do trust Apple and Apple service technicians. I think particularly if you're sending to Apple's authorized technicians, um, you probably stand in a better chance uh, than not of, um, of not having to worry about that. But you're still sending your computer off into the wild somewhere. And Apple asks you 
when when you give them your computer information to call Apple Care, one of the things they ask you is they say, um, what is the administrative login name and your password for your computer? So if you're giving anybody your administrative login name and the password, regardless of whether you've got file vault encryption or any of those things turned on, uh, you've just given them the keys to access anything on your computer. So what'd you do? Um, I did a couple of things. Uh, first and foremost, I created a second account on the computer with a uh, different username and password. Um, I think I, I called it like a service and I, I created a, a just a dummy. I think the password um, was like Apple service that I created for it. That's not still my password and that account is gone. So don't worry about it. I mean, I, now did you give that admin privileges? I did. Yes. Cause I, I think you need to, they yeah. said that you had to give it admin privileges. Um, now I will tell you that diagnostically though, you could say there are a lot of things that can be cured by having a separate clean user account. So um, you may not be giving Apple access to everything that they need. So I also, one of the things that I did, um, I logged into that account with admin privileges. And from that account, I reset the password on my account. Um, and the reason I did it that way is because by resetting the password that way, although I reset the login password for, for my admin account, it did not reset my keychain password. So although that would allow someone to log into my computer, it did not necessarily um, allow them to get into all of the things that are secured with the Apple keychain. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so that was one of the things I did. And explain how you did that for anybody that doesn't know. Yeah. So, and I should back up because this is one of the last things that I did. So I'll tell you what I did before that. But what I did is I created a new user account on my machine. I actually already had one, but I created one called service. And then I created a, a simple password for it that I was willing to give at the Apple service people. And then one of the last things I did before I sent my computer off to service after I'd done all this other prep is I logged into the service account as though I was, you know, Apple and then I went into uh, system preferences and in users. And from there, an administrator of a computer can force reset a password of another administrator. So I went in and there and uh, reset the password of my own user account. Yeah. And that's the, it's not terminal magic. All you have to do is go into the admin panel and you can do it there. Yeah. It's very easy to do. But again, by doing it that way, I then re-logged back into my account with the new password to confirm that what I thought I was doing was correct. By doing it that way, although I had I had changed the login password for the account, it did not change the keychain password for that account, which meant all of the passwords that are normally stored at login, like your mail password um, and, and any, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, network passwords, anything else that your computer automatically logs into. Um still are secured behind your regular keychain password, which by default was your admin password, but was not changed. So that gave me another a little addition of protection. Um, the other thing I did before I did went through all of that, um, I went through and I specifically, I deleted um, and securely deleted any files that after, uh, this is after I made like a quadrillion backups, okay? So my backups are all done. Um, I stopped my Backblaze backup because I didn't want Backblaze to back up like the deletions. So I stopped my Backblaze backups. Um, and basically, so I froze my backups in place of the last good snapshot I had of my computers, unplugged all my backups, stopped all my backups. 
And then I went through and I started um, basically deleting my documents. I deleted, you know, my work-related documents. I deleted any personal documents that were um, confidential. I signed out of all of my cloud accounts and services. I signed out of Dropbox. I signed out of Google Drive, deleted the local copies of those folders. Um, I signed out of iCloud and deleted the local copies of that data. Um, I went through with a tool like Clean My Mac and deleted the um, the mail. Uh, you you can delete the mail attachments and the the mail um, the copies of your email messages because a lot of times information is sent in email. Um, so that was all gone. So there really wasn't a lot of data on my computer when I sent it to begin with. You know, something else I would recommend if you're sending your Mac in to Apple or any other dealer or, or somebody's going to repair it and there's any chance you're going to lose your logic board would be to sign out of those accounts like your iTunes account, Audible account, Adobe accounts, anything where they track the number of installs you have on a piece of software. Because quite often um, they track that by the logic board. So if you get a new machine back, it's still going to think you're using their software on the old machine and um, that causes problems. So just sign out of that software. Pretend it's almost like getting rid of a Mac, you know, in some ways, because even though you're getting it back and you think it's still your Mac, quite often it's not still your Mac. The, you know, it's, maybe it's the husk of your old Mac, but everything on the inside is new. So um, in those cases, you'll have software problems if you don't log out before you send it in. Right. Anyway, I, d- I did all that as as well. And um, I will say that's probably not as big of a deal as it used to be now, because a lot of these providers like Microsoft Office and iTunes, and I think Adobe, though, I I don't subscribe to Adobe, so I don't know, um, will allow you to reset that from the web interface now. The the, the two most troublesome ones for me are Apple and Dragon Dictate, because Apple has a button that you get to press once every 18 months, I think, that resets it on all machines. But it doesn't have a way to go in and say, do, you know, um, unauthorized iTunes on this one computer. They just have a button that resets it on all of them. I think Apple's behind on that. So that was uh, that was what I would do. I, I don't know. I mean, I tell you, this process did make me think about what would I have done if, if this was like a sudden failure and I immediately had to send my Mac in you know, without a lot of warning. Yeah. Well, we talked about that a little bit I because I'm down to one Mac now and I think I would be okay working off iPads, especially if it was like a week or less, but it would mean that no screencast production would get done. Um, I could podcast in a jam without a Mac. You know, I've got like a Zoom recorder I could record into. And then, you know, I I figured there's ways I could do that stuff. I kind of went through that thought experiment once. And while it would be a pain in the neck, I think I could get by without a Mac for about a week, but it, I wouldn't want to wait much longer than a week. Well, no, I meant from a, if you were concerned about your data standpoint. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's just it's just kind of an interesting thought to go through. Um, but anyway, when I when I came back, obviously, it was a completely new hard drive. Apple had reinstalled, um, you know, Mojave on it, the latest operating system. So I just got a complete screen, a clean install. But um, reinstalling the data and reinstalling um, apps and everything has has never been easier. Um, I, uh, you know, sat down one night and I had a I had a USB C hard drive that I had a clone backup of on, and so I just went through with Migration Assistant. I did not install the apps. I, I like to install those fresh. So I went through with Migration Assistant. And I just reinstalled all the apps and data, or the apps, not the, I'm sorry, the data, not the apps. 
when I returned, resynced it back up to my cloud services, and then went through and just reinstalled my apps. And within, I mean, I will tell you, it was a it just within a couple of hours that night was was pretty much good to go. It's scary how easy it is now. No, I mean, it, it's great. I mean, I remember when you got a new computer. In fact, back in the early days of this podcast, it was a thing where one of us would get a new computer and uh, like I would set up an iMac on the kitchen table for a weekend and we'd be watching movies and stuff and I'd be going over, you know, feeding it, feeding it discs and all sorts of weird stuff to get the thing working. Now it, it really is kind of trivial to get it going. And it's even less so on iOS. I mean, on iOS, there's almost no work involved with getting new machine running. And, you know, what I did is I, I love the Mac App Store for doing this type of thing. I, I really wish Apple would, you know, lighten up a little bit more on the sandboxing requirements so you can get everything through the Mac App Store. But, you know, I just went through the Mac App Store, you know, started the process of downloading a whole lot of things. And then what I did is I went through 1Password, which is where I keep all of my software and serial numbers, and then started seeing, okay, what else? And started downloading from there. So this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Gazelle.com, the go-to website for buying and selling your used devices. So if you're thinking about upgrading to the new iPad that may or not be coming out, uh, or maybe you're getting a new iPhone that's coming, uh, Gazelle will pay you for your current device. You can visit Gazelle.com and answer a few easy questions to get your quote. Your quote is good for 30 days, so you can lock in the best price before it depreciates and have time to get the device you want. Shipping is free and payment is fast. You can get a check in the mail, an Amazon gift card in your inbox, or direct deposit right into your PayPal account. You can also shop from a variety of certified pre-owned electronics or trade in your device for cash. So you can give new life to a used device by heading over to gazelle.com today. I have used Gazelle for a while now. It is the trusted online marketplace for buying and selling used electronics. I have traded in my old device for cash when I've you know, not needed it or had a family member to hand it down to. But I've also bought certified pre-owned devices for other family members. And it is great if you want to buy a device that is not on contract. Maybe you don't necessarily need the latest and greatest. Or maybe you just find yourself kind of off cycle. You need to get a new device. If you head over to gazelle.com, you can type in a little bit of information about your device. Tell them what you got. Tell them what conditions it's in, and they will give you a quote right away. Um, their offers are always free, so it costs you nothing to see what your device is worth when you just answer the questions and you get a quote. And the shipping is free and payment is fast. The times that I've used Gazelle, they've sent me a box. They've sent me a label. It's been super easy to send my stuff off to Gazelle. And I've always gotten paid quickly, uh, either with a gift card. So often I'll opt to get the Amazon gift card or just a direct deposit right into my uh, PayPal account. I really like the certified pre-owned device uh, route for Gazelle. It is great for buying devices maybe for a kid or someone who doesn't necessarily need the latest and greatest because you can even get um, iPhone 6s, 7s, 8s, iPhone 10s. You can get iPads. They've got iPad Air, iPad Mini, iPad Pros. They've even got laptops. So if you're looking for something, you can check them. Each device is fully inspected and backed by a 30-day return policy. And of course, all their devices are sold without a carrier contract. And if you need so, Gazelle offers 
financing through a firm. You provide some basic information and you can get instantly approved to pay off your device in three, six, or 12 months. So head on over to gazelle.com to get more information about your device and learn how to give new life to your used devices and lock in the value of your trade-in now for cash. Again, that's gazelle.com, G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com to get started today. And thanks, Gazelle, for your continued support of the show. I wish Gazelle supported uh, the Sonos Play 5 because I had a Katie Floyd experience trying to sell one through eBay. Oh, no. I bought a second um, HomePod for the downstairs because we're all getting into it now. And so I had an extra Play 5, and I, I thought, oh, I'll sell it on eBay. Ugh, it was such a, so much misery. I, I sent it. I, I took the time. You know, first, all the time it takes to get it done. Then you send it out there, and then the person says it doesn't work. And I was just thinking about your experience, how, you know, <laughs> they kind of screwed you over with the, oh, it doesn't work after it worked fine when I shipped it. But I was smart. I took pictures of the serial number and everything. And so I authorized return. They sent it back to me. I, I ended up getting charged between postage and like eBay fees. I think I paid like $50 for something that just got shipped to the country and back to me. And now it's back in my garage. So, Ugh, Katie. And eBay won't refund you that if you said no, it worked and it was wrong? I don't know. I don't, I don't even, you know, it's like probably, I don't know. I guess I've got to figure that out now too. You think it was just someone who changed their mind or do you think it was someone who just was trying to scam you or someone who just didn't know how it worked? Somebody who was incompetent. I don't know. But either way, I, I don't know, but it's just like, uh, anyway, I, we, there's gotta be a better way to sell this stuff. But the, um, that's not what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm like, that's not in our outline, but go ahead. No, no it's not. But it, it just got me thinking, you know. <laughs> anyway, the um, so I have been spending a lot more time thinking about my home screen than I had in a very long time. I mentioned this a little bit in the last episode, but I got a bunch of email feedback on it. And I wanted to, to follow up on that. Um, so it all started with um, CGP Gray on an episode of Cortex where he was talking about how he was making these home screen apps out of Siri shortcuts, you know, because Siri shortcuts can launch apps. So in essence, he was making them into launchers. So he would push a button for, you know, audio, and then that would open up podcasts and Audible and, you know, all the various things that are related to audio. And I thought that was a great idea. So I started playing around with it and I made a little screencast. I'll put it in the show notes. I did as well last week where I, I made a bunch of apps this way. But ultimately, I wasn't really that happy with it because uh, in order to make these things run from your home screen, they actually have to launch the Siri Shortcuts app. So it just feels wonky when you tap uh, an icon on your home screen and it launches an another app to give you a menu. But I really like this idea of contextually combining not only apps, but tasks. Like, for instance, I have one for Max Barkey, and I talked about this a little bit last week, but it's got like, it gets me into the outline of the field guide I'm working on in my note, and it gets me into, you know, it can open up Omni Outliner, and it can uh, start a timer, and it can take me into the Max Barkey perspective in OmniFocus, and it can take me to the Max Barkey inbox in Apple Mail. So you just think about all the things you do in one phase of your life, and you combine it into one button. And if you tap it, it just pops open a menu, you pick what you want to do, and everything just happens for you. I think it's really, really convenient, and it's a better way to use the phone. I mean, it keeps you locked on. It keeps you out of out of uh, getting lost into like a game or something, and I just like it, but I don't like the way it launches. So uh, what I've been doing is running it 
in the widget screen, because for whatever reason, if you launch a widget, a series shortcut from the series shortcut widget, that's that screen to the left of your home screen. So just swipe to the right and you'll see it. Um, it does not require you to go into the series shortcuts app. It just immediately jumps into those menus. Oh, did you hear that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Um, so it, um, so it's just much faster and cleaner if you do it through the widget screen. And so I said, well, let me just try that for a week or so. So I, I moved everything, all of those series shortcut things I made over to the widget screen. And when I want to access them, I just swipe to the right. And I found that I kind of like that. And then I got thinking, hey, I'm over in the widget screen more often. Let me see what I can do with the widget screen. Because I never really gave it, you know, I fiddled with it, but it's not been a space that I work in very much. So I got really serious about my widget screen, you know, what apps make it on the widget screen now. And like, I have uh, tuned that list down to things that are really useful to me that I want at a glance. And I'm finding that I'm using the widget screen a ton now because, you know, it's just kind of a weird trail I've gone down. But now I'm going over to the widget screen multiple times a day. I'm launching these little series shortcut things. I'm using it to manage my calendar. Like the OmniFocus widget is really powerful because it gives you, you know, you can define a perspective to fit in there. And hopefully it's something that doesn't have more than 10 or 15 tasks on it. But if you want, and you can check them off from right there. So it's the ultimate checklist. You know, you, you're not, you don't even have the ability to fiddle with the task management app. You just check an item off and then you go on to the next thing. But if you want to fiddle with it, you tap on the name of the task and it opens the app and brings you right to that task. So you don't have to drill through your OmniFocus database. Uh, Fantastic Owl's got a great one in there as well. The drafts widget is awesome. So um, I just found that um, I've been adding and removing widgets and kind of getting that really tuned up. And then I still on my home screen now, I do have some some core apps that I jump into quite often, but not as many as I was using before. And I'm finding that the widget screen is really turning into something I'm enjoying using. So it was a little experiment, but uh, it's something I'd recommend giving a try, especially if you're down with series shortcuts. Because like I was saying at the beginning of this thing, you can contextually group a bunch of tasks and they don't have, some of them may be opening apps, some of them may be running other shortcuts, uh, but you can put all that together. And if you run it from that widget screen, it's almost immediate. You just tap the button and you're off to the races. So what started out as rebuilding a home screen, now you're just creating widget screens, a widget screen. Yeah, I mean, I, it seems to me like the more um, the more practical use for me or the one that fits better for me because I, I like the immediacy of it. I wasn't really happy with um, those Siri shortcuts apps on the home screen because they have to jump into the Siri app. And it just it just seemed like that extra delay was feeling like it wasn't making it worth the trouble. So how many of these do you have, you think? Uh, oh, I have so many Siri shortcuts. but I mean, widget screen stuff. Well, I can tell you, I've got the, the suggested Siri apps, which I find useful. Fantastic Owl, Shortcuts, Carrot Weather, um, uh, uh, the um, uh, OmniFocus, Maps, Destinations. So it just shows me my next destination, Drafts, Copied, and then Time Zones. Because I've been working, uh, Rose and I have been working on some stuff. And I've, I I can never remember what time it is in Vienna. So I put that one there. And um and I'm, I'm playing with the, the podcast apps now, looking to see which ones have the best widget screen. Like the Apple podcast app has a, um, a nice widget where you can just tap on the, the artwork for the podcast and it'll start playing. 
Uh, Overcast has one too. I'm I'm going to send Marco a note on it. I've got some ideas, <laughs> so I haven't decided which one I'm going to go with for that. But the um, uh, it's not a, an extraordinary number, but it's it's kind of in motion too because I also bought that um, app launcher which gets you up to like four additional rows where you can really have custom stuff. there, like dial a specific person, you know, send a text message to a specific person. And, um, and I'm, I'm playing with that. And, you know, there's, there's just about, it's, it's still a little bit in progress for me, but I thought this is something I'm kind of excited about right now. So I'd share it where I stand. And, and then in the shortcuts app, I have two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, four, I have 15 shortcuts. Cause you can have it show. I think it gets up to about 20, but, you know, and those shortcuts are all launchers into a whole bunch of other things. Like one's called Omni Select, and I click on that, and it gives me um, all of my most common Omni perspectives, Omni Focus perspectives, but it also gives me, gets me into a separate shortcut that has all of my Omni Focus um, templates. So if I, like, I just signed up a sponsor for the Max Sparky newsletter, I can launch it from there. And then I, the newsletter template, I just put in the name and the month, and it does all the other stuff for an Omni Focus for me. Um, I've got one on health. I tap that and it gives me all my health apps, you know, the meditation app, the food tracking app, all that stuff under one button. It's kind of nice. I, I feel like it's a, it's a, a more efficient way to use the phone. And, um, you know, they, Apple has not evolved the home screen enough, in my opinion. Uh, there's all these rumors that we're going to get that with iOS 13. And I hope we do. But in the meantime, if you want to explore a little bit, I would recommend um, first of all, getting serious with Siri shortcuts because this stuff is really powerful. Um, and watch that video I made; it'll show you how to do it. And then the um, uh, and then looking at the other apps you use frequently and just seeing what they look like in Siri shortcut form. I'm sorry, in widget form, because you may be surprised how useful they are. I still wish there was a better way to share widgets. I mean, Apple and workflow team before that, you know, they have their widget gallery, you know, built in to the short and I'm calling that incorrectly. They have their shortcuts gallery built into the shortcuts, Siri shortcuts app, but I haven't really found a great way um, or a great repository for people to share workflows, widgets, shortcuts what are we calling them ah they they updated it right before they released it where you can get an iCloud link and you no, can you can an and so that's that's a way that individual people are doing it like when Federico writes one up on club you know on Mac stories or whatever he'll he'll give it to you and then you get the iCloud link to it but I feel like yeah you know, there's got to be a better way for that I agree but you know another nice thing about Siri shortcuts this is somewhat related is they are continuing to iterate on this thing I've got the uh, I've got the 2.1 beta now and it's going to be released, I'm assuming, right around that Apple event coming up in a few weeks. And it is substantially better. I mean, they've added the ability to Siri shortcut script timers. And like the the app, as it's released when this show's recording, the, the public version is garbage when it comes to saving the order of your shortcuts. So if you have a lot of them and you try and order them, it like scrambles them like eggs every time you open it again. And the most recent beta fixes that. Now all my shortcuts are staying in order. In fact, I'm going to be re-recording and releasing some updates to my series shortcuts field guide because a bunch of the stuff I complained about they're fixing. So uh, that's good. But uh, I'm really happy that we don't have to wait until iOS 13 to get those kinds of fixes that they're continuing to release. You know, it's on it's on its own release schedule. I guess is what I'm saying. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about Evernote. 
Um, I've, I've talked a little bit about moving away from Evernote and kind of wanting to get out of these everything bucket apps. And, you know, when you talk about something a little bit on the periphery of Mac Power users, then you immediately get a lot of emails and uh, requests from people asking for more information about it. So I, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper for a minute about where I am in the state of Evernote and what I'm doing and kind of how I, my process for getting out of Evernote. And I, I don't want to talk too much about, you know, what's going on with Evernote because I, I don't know. You know, a lot of people have a lot of thoughts of, is Evernote in trouble? You know, what's going on with their business model? They've they've had some staffing changes. I think things have gone on there. They, they've maybe some concerns that they might have lost their direction. There's, there's, there's a lot of questions whirling around with Evernote. And I've got to say, I, I love Evernote and I love the people over at Evernote. They've been really good to us. Um, I don't think you went, David, I think I went with other people, um, very kind to give me a tour of the Evernote headquarters back when we went to Macworld a few years ago. And it was just um, awesome. Great, great people. Great, uh, great company. But I, I really hope nothing but the best for them. Uh, and I hope that they they do find their way. But for a number of reasons, I have decided that I just wanted to get out of those everything bucket types of, of applications, which means I didn't want to have a bunch of stuff in Evernote. I didn't want to have a bunch of stuff in DevonThink. And um, I think years ago when we did a paperless episode, you were talking about your files and folders system in Dropbox. And I was talking about how I was keeping those same things, but I was keeping them in Evernote. And then along the way, I stopped keeping all of that stuff in Evernote. Um, I started, you know, I, I didn't do anything with what was there. I left kind of the legacy stuff that was there. But then I started keeping all of those, uh, for lack of a better word, my my electronic file cabinet with papers and the, the scanned papers and those statements and things like that in a files and folders system, kind of similar to what you did. And... Um, over the years, I've I've kind of been using Evernote less and less. And then I would tell you over the past year, I've kind of made a conscious decision to to get out of Evernote. So my my multi-step process to get out of Evernote has has followed a, an interesting path. And I think it's about complete, but it's it's taken me a couple of years. And I would say if you're interested in doing something like this, because I developed I, I had invested a lot of time and um uh, had a lot of data in Evernote. And it took me, it wasn't just something that I could turn off and stop using overnight. So uh, I would say step one of anything, if you're going to undercount a, something like this, is to stop digging the hole. And, you know, once you decide that you're not going to invest in a system anymore, just stop getting yourself deeper in it. So a couple of, I, I would say about a year ago, I stopped putting new stuff into Evernote. And probably about two or three years ago, I stopped putting specifically I stopped using Evernote as kind of my paperless filing cabinet. I was still using it for other things, but I stopped using it for that purpose. And and that stopped a lot of the bulk of data that I was putting in there. And then um, over the past year, what I have started doing is I have been exporting my data out of Evernote um, pretty much one notebook at a time. I, I had arranged my Evernote database into probably a dozen or so various notebooks and so what I would do is I would export data from that notebook. And then once I knew that I had the data, I would go through a notebook and I would find out, first off, what can I just delete? What do I not need anymore? And I would delete those notes. And then what I decided that I needed to keep, I would export the data out of that notebook. 
and figure out where that needed to go and organize that on my computer. And then once I knew that I had all that data where it needed to be, then I would delete the data from the notebook. So tell me, has Evernote got better at that? Because when back when I was talking about that stuff, I had tried some experiments with Evernote and it was very tedious to get it to export PDFs. Have is that but you know that and that was my big concern is I don't want to get something where I have to individually export, you know, a thousand documents. Sounds like that's better now. It is better. And keep in mind most of the documents that I had in Evernote were PDFs. So the the problem that I had, and I probably could have found some script or something to do this, is that I never, at, at least in the very beginning of my Evernote process, I didn't name the PDFs when I put them into Evernote. So I named the title of the Evernote note. So the title of the note might have been like 2013.08.01 utility bill, but the actual PDF itself was just named whatever random scan name you know, that it came through. I'm going to totally pretend that you, you said dash dash instead of dot. And that you said zero instead of O, but to continue. Okay. And then whatever. Um, so when, when I went to export that, that file from Evernote, it exported it as a PDF, but it exported it with whatever the name of that PDF was when I pulled it into Evernote. So it, it wasn't the name that I'd given it in Evernote, if that makes sense. But you know what? You get it in a folder, you're good. I mean, really. Well, once I got it in a folder, I knew that I had the data. And, and that was the hardest. I saved that folder for last. I started going through my folders and I deleted a ton of stuff because a lot of it just, the longer it sat in there, I realized I didn't need it. A lot of the stuff in there was stuff that I just didn't need or I'd already had other places. And so I say, I would say I probably threw away maybe half of what was in there. And then the big bulk of what I was left with was probably under a thousand, but definitely several hundred uh, PDFs of statements of some kind that of when I had originally done my my paperless uh, used Evernote as my filing cabinet. And and I had a couple of thoughts on this. I looked at it, I was like, you know, everything in here is at least three years old or older. What are the odds of me ever even needing this? So one thought was, do I just delete this? But, you know, then I thought, I took the time, I scanned it, I saved it for a reason. If I delete it, it's when I'm going to need it. So I kind of punted on that. What I did is I created a folder and I saved it and I just called it uh, old Evernote statements. I think that's good. Yeah, I exported everything from there into a folder called old Evernote statements. That makes total sense, Katie. And then what I did is as I had time, I went through and I pointed, I took all of my Hazel rules that I currently have processing all my documents and I duplicated those Hazel rules and I put them in and I pointed them to that old Evernote statements folder. And just by using my existing Hazel rules, like dozens and dozens and dozens of those files automatically got picked up, renamed and, you know, taken care of. And put where they were supposed to be. I love Hazel so much. I know. And then I was like, wow. Well, that took, you know, that took care of maybe a quarter of it right there. What, what can I take care of just by taking the, just by taking those Hazel rules and then tweaking them a little bit. So I went back and looked and I was like, well, these are a bunch of, you know, I'm just making this up, but these are a bunch of credit card statements that are very similar to my current credit card statements. But look, my credit card number must have been different, you know, so I was just able to go through and tweak the Hazel rule. And then by, by duplicating and tweaking the Hazel rule, I was able to get another couple of dozen 
you know, statements out of there. And, you know, so just as I had time, I was going through and tweaking my Hazel rules and I was able to pick off, you know, dozens of PDFs at a time. And eventually I I was able to clean out most of that folder and get all of those things actually properly dated and labeled where they needed to go. I, I do think though, you know, another alternative is if it, it is stuff that's truly old and you think you're never going to need it, um, f- of course, run a Hazel against it because Hazel has no cost for you. You know, the whole thing about this is how much time do you spend at the front end versus how much time do you save at the back end? Well, you're right. I think you should have those things, but I think it's also extremely unlikely you're going to need to access any of that data. So um, there's nothing wrong like when you make one of these moves to just have a folder of this old stuff called old Evernote archive and just leave it there. And then if you find yourself in a couple of years from now, somebody says, I need that thing, then see how much work it would be to go and dig it out then. But you know, when you don't process at all, you've got zero investment in it. So, um, and if you're never going to need it, then that's a net zero. You know what I mean? <laughs> but if you put a bunch of time into it, you're going to have a negative at the end of the day. So, Uh, I'm not necessarily opposed to someone saying, oh, these are old. I do want to keep them, but I don't want to spend any effort organizing them. Um, I I don't think that's necessarily wrong either. Yeah. And I didn't spend a lot of time. I maybe spent an hour or so while I was watching TV on the couch, you know, tweaking some Hazel rules. And and you and I are geeks, so we can't help ourselves, right? I mean, to me, it's like, it's almost like a challenge. It's like, oh, you gave me an old... I mean, I do that for family members when they give me their old picture files and I run Hazel rules to organize them for them. And some of them, I think, actually believe I sit and like sort it into, you know, by hand into each folder. But they think I'm just a a sad, lonely nerd. I don't really know what they think. But um, you give me a folder of photos. If they've got dates on them, I will organize them for them. And I just do it with Hazel. So that's where most of my stuff went. I would say about 50% of the stuff I had in Evernote got deleted because it was obsolete. Um, Another great bulk of it just got moved into files and folders, either automatically or in kind of the Evernote archive file. Uh, The rest of it, most of it um, uh, went into Apple Notes. The the big thing, and and I know there are other dedicated apps that do this, um, but I had maybe a few dozen recipes. And yes, I could get a dedicated app. Yes, I could put it in Paprika. I know that's the one that a lot of people suggest or use. I didn't need that kind of complexity. And so I just moved all those things. I have I now have a folder called Recipes and Apple Notes. And it works. So I made I made my I found it when I needed to make my marinated cheese this weekend. It feels like an end of an era. Katie Floyd leaving Evernote. I don't know what, what we do next, honestly. So um, my Evernote uh, subscription renews. It's one of those that renews at the end of the year, every year. And so I think I've already canceled it for the end of this year. Well, I I don't think you'll regret it. You know, I mean, I I feel like in this world, more than the world of a few years ago, um, the idea of getting away from a can of, you know, putting all your stuff in a system uh, makes more sense because the cloud services are even better than they were when we had this discussion five years ago. And, you know, iCloud, Dropbox, you're going to be okay putting your stuff on those services. And um, it does give you the ultimate in portability. Hey, let's take a minute to talk about our next sponsor. And that's our friends over at the Omni Group. And did you know OmniFocus version 3 is out for the Mac? 
This new version of OmniFocus is a winner. The Omni Group has been hard at work on this new version for some time, and they definitely delivered the goods. I'm so happy to have OmniFocus 3 on my Mac because I got spoiled with it on my iOS device. The new version features a unique design that makes smart, useful changes without making change for the sake of change itself. You know, sometimes apps turn the Apple card over just to say that they did it. The group at the Omni uh, group, the designers there really spent their time with OmniFocus 3, just saying, how can we make this better? How can we make it easier for the users? And I think they they were successful. And moreover, they've added a lot of useful features, uh, my favorite of which is tags. And I am so down with tags now, Katie. I can't stop talking about it because I love it so much. So adding uh, tags to OmniFocus gives you the ability to have multiple ways to get into your OmniFocus database. We talked about this on the show a few weeks ago, but if you missed it, my point is no matter what you're doing, you may have two or three different ways to access that information. And like I just created one the other day for nonfiction because I like to read nonfiction. But I have a bunch of different nonfiction things I read from. I have short stories, I have books. And now when I want to read some nonfiction, I just hit the nonfiction tag in OmniFocus. And it gives me a list of things to choose from and allows me to keep up with the stuff I want to read and allows me to get that out of my brain so I don't have to remember what they are. And that's just one little example of the ways I'm using tags. Um, I wrote an article about tags for the Omni Group's website. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. I thought it was kind of good. Um, but I'm I'm pretty um, I'm having a good time. I'm being very exploratory with it, and I'm hearing from a lot of listeners that are doing the same, and they're learning a lot. So I use OmniFocus every day to keep my life together. There's no way I could run my law practice, video business, all the podcasts, and be a dad without the tools that OmniFocus gives me. So why not you go check it out for yourself? Head over to the OmniFocus website. Um, and download that free trial. Let them know you heard about it from the Mac Power users, and uh, we really would appreciate that. And uh, check out OmniFocus three version, uh, OmniFocus version three for your Mac. You won't regret it. That's at theomnigroup.com/slash/omnifocus. And once again, let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power users. So, what else is on your mind? I know the uh, the last. Was it last show, our 30 for 30 show? Um, I was talking about Moom and rejiggering things, and you were talking about how you were using Keyboard Maestro more. And it sounds like you really are digging into Keyboard Maestro now. Yeah, I am. I I can tell the audience, because nobody listens to the show, right? Um, My next field guide is going to be about Keyboard Maestro. So... I've got this long outline of Keyboard Maestro, and I and that kind of combines with the Siri shortcuts thing, where I realized, you know, one of the things I really love about Siri shortcuts is the ability to drive multiple applications with one task. You know, like when you come up with a blog idea, you create the OmniFocus project, open the Ulysses thing, put it on the calendar. You can do all this stuff with just one set of data. And it, and I was sad that they didn't have a series, something like Siri shortcuts for Mac. And then I got thinking about it. Of course, we do. It's Keyboard Maestro. I just wasn't pushing it hard enough. So I've been, uh, for the last several months, anything I do on my Mac that I don't want to do myself, I've been saying, how can I do this in Keyboard Maestro? And I've been very experimental with it. And, um, man, there's a lot you can do with Keyboard Maestro. <laughs> um, the... Um, you know, I talked about window management last week with you, with the you know moving the windows around. But the um, but I've also been like working on creating work environments via Keyboard Maestro. Like, not only do I organize windows, but I open up the tabs in the browser, or I open up the word processing document or the outline that I want to be working on when I'm in this work mode. Um, 
I've been doing a lot more with app automation, you know, because with Keyboard Maestro, you can drive just about any Mac application. And one of the white whales for me of automation on the Mac has been auto-filling uh, document templates, because I'm a lawyer, so I have some templates I work from once in a while. You know, if I want to make a new company, I have articles of incorporation template, for example. And so I've created these these files over the years that have kind of wild cards inside of them. And it's just such a pain in the neck to open them up in pages or Word and then have to hit the, you know, replace all and, and find. And you have to type all this stuff in. And, and then maybe there's two or three documents that have the same variable sets. And so much so that sometimes I would even send them to an assistant to help me with or... Uh, yeah, I just it, it always bugs you when you're awake to automation and you catch yourself doing something that the robot should be doing instead of you. Um, so I tried to write an Apple script to do it, and it was never consistent. And then I re- I just realized because I've been going deep with Keyboard Maestro, could I do this in Keyboard Maestro? And of course I can. You know, so uh, the trick was uh, opening. I'm doing it mainly in Pages, where I'm invoking the Find and Replace. But I'm also using the tab key and I'm using micro delays where it stops for like 0.2 seconds just to give the system time to catch up. But it's like it's crazy when it happens. I can have it open like five documents and do, you know, first it'll ask me on screen, you know, what's the name, you know, blah, blah, blah. What's the fill in information? And then it takes that information and populates it across like five documents. And it takes just a couple minutes to do it while I'm sitting there watching my computer race through the stuff. At the end of the, you know, at the end of the uh, keyboard maestro automation, it's created all the documents for me. It's done it perfectly. There are no typos because the computer is doing it. And I just, you know, I'm just finding that this application is so powerful. I, uh, I know we often talk about Hazel and Text Expander, but I think keyboard maestro is like truly the next step for this stuff if you want to get serious about automating your your Mac. Any ETA on that field guide? Do you want any, any more information you want to share? Yeah, we'll do January. I mean, i I have a I have another one. I have a free one coming out in November that's going to be really fun, and I'm uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going to give that one away because Katie is indirectly responsible for it. <laughs> and the uh, I feel like I have royalties coming from that one. <laughs> well, it's free, so I don't okay. know how that works. But the uh, I've got a free one I'm working on. It's it's kind of a, a fun project, so I'll, I'll have I'll announce that one in November. But my, my the keyboard master one. When I do these things, is I just immerse myself in the app for several months before I even start recording. I'm I'm still in that phase, and I have a nice long outline. It's coming along, but my guess is January. You you like to put push these out in spurts these days. It seems like. Well, I, I'm trying to, you know, I got, I really enjoy doing them and people seem to like them and it's, uh, I'm very passionate about it. Well, we've been, uh, we've been going for a little while here. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or did you, um, want to chat a little bit about the, perhaps the upcoming Apple event before we hop into some listener questions? Um, well, you know what? I've got one more that won't take too long. Uh, in addition to my home screen, the other thing I've been thinking a lot about, I'm, I'm going to try and write a post on this before the show goes live, is the uh, is getting comfortable with the infograph watch face on the uh, the the uh, Apple Watch. Yeah, the new Apple Watch Four. I don't have the infograph watch face on my watch. Yeah, you got to have the Series Four, and I'm sure I know this is kind of a niche thing. I'm, I'm sure not a lot of the listeners don't have it, but the um, I was kind of dismissive of it on the show when I first got my Series Four. Uh, Zach Hall, our friend over at 9to5, wrote a nice article about this at 9to5. I'll put a link in the show notes. And um, it got me thinking. So I went and looked at the infograph uh, face again. 
And I've been, my, my initial complaint was it's too busy, but Zach makes a really great point. Well, you, you don't have to use every complication. If you just scroll all the way to the top, you can turn some of them off. So I've been experimenting with it and, um, uh, I, uh, I, I'm starting to like the infograph face. Uh, I think it's kind of cool. Uh, I'm not using all of the complication slots, but, um, as it stands, I'm putting OmniFocus in the upper left corner and drafts in the upper right corner. So, you know, I can get to my OmniFocus database with one tap or I can get to drafts with one tap on the other side. And I have drafts turned on. They have a cool feature in drafts where if you just tap it on the watch, it goes to immediate recording. You know, just like drafts on your iPhone goes to immediate typing on the watch. You can have it just as soon as you press the button, the microphone goes live and you can start dictating a draft. So I find that really useful. And then in the lower uh, left corner, I've been putting the timer because I use timers all day, you know, for the Pomodoro stuff or watering the plants or whatever. I just constantly have needs for timers. And then on the lower right side, I'm using Carrot Weather's um, uh, weather complication. And I use the sunset and sunrise because I a lot of times I wake up early in the morning and I want to go for a walk as soon as the sun comes up. But I don't know when that's going to be. And then um, and that's it. You know, I'm sorry, I have the date in the center of the watch, but all the rest of the center of the watch is empty because the big complaint is you can't read the time because the hands are moving through all this noise of these complications. But I found turning off all of the complications in the center actually works really well. So um, I'm starting to get more comfortable with it. I, I do wish, like everyone else, that Apple would open this up to third-party developers and we had more options. But the infograph watch face can work. So I have a, I have a complaint that I would like to lodge at this point about uh, Watch OS 5. Is this the appropriate time to do that? Yeah, I think so. Feels like it. Um, I am a little disappointed in the Siri phase for uh, since I think was it Watch OS 4 when the Siri phase first debuted? That has been my my go-to watch phase. And I liked it. I, I do. I still like it because it is the, although I would really prefer an analog face on my watch, the Siri watch face had so many advantages because it would give you um, a bunch of information right up front and it would give you the most relevant information up front because, you know, one of the big complaints about some of the other watch faces is, you know, if you had an upcoming calendar event, it was great to have the calendar complication, but if you didn't, it would just sit there and say no more events. And if you had a timer set, it would be great to have the timer complication, but if you didn't, you just have this blank space on a complication that, you know, had a, t- had a blank timer on it. And the beauty of the Siri watch face is it it was always learning and it was it was always displaying intelligent information about what was going on. So it would display the time. If you had a timer running, it would display the timer. If you had something playing, it would display what was playing. And and it still does that. But my understanding is with Watch OS 5, we were supposed to get more in the Siri watch face. And I've gone in and I've enabled the third-party applications that supposedly um, are supporting the Siri watch face. I've turned off some of the complications. If you go into the watch app and you have the Siri watch face on, you can turn off what data sources. So I've turned off breathe. I don't need that. I've turned off um, uh, photos. I don't want to see photos. I've turned off podcasts because I use Overcast instead. I've turned off stocks because I didn't want to see that. But you can also turn on third-party apps, and I've got a lot in there, but I don't hardly ever see any of this information. I don't know what's going on. What, where is this? I should have mentioned that earlier, too, because I think one of the reasons why I went to Infograph is I was also disappointed. 
I used the Siri watch face all through last year. And the only third party app that I see showing up is carrot weather. And it's almost showing up too much in the third, in the Siri integration. So I don't know. I'm like, where's OmniFocus and where are the, the apps where I want to get information out of them? And I don't know. I haven't heard a, an official or unofficial story on this. We should look into this though. Maybe I'll follow up with this because I know two or three people, but the, um, I agree with you. It should absolutely be more prevalent because I, I went and switched them on as well. I've never seen a third party app show up in the Siri watch face except for carrot weather. Well, and although I appreciate carrot weather, I, I have the weather complication, which is the basic Apple complication and, you know, carrot weather. Yes, I get is better than that, but that's not the one that I really, really wanted, you know? Yeah. Well, the, the, the traditional Apple one is there as well. I mean, so you can turn that on too. So you get double weather if you if you got them. Well, both I mean, I, I would assume you'd make a choice, but you know, the, I mean, you're right though. How come these third party apps aren't showing up? I and the fact that carrot weather shows up and none of the others do is even more of a head scratcher. So it's not that there's like something broken where the third party apps are not you know raising up to the level of Siri because one clearly is, but. For some reason, it's ignoring all the other applications. And I don't know what the deal is with that. So, and, and nobody opens OmniFocus on their watch or, or iPhone as much as I do. And yet it, it never shows up. Siri never bothers to put that on my, on my Siri watch face. Yeah, I agree. I, don't, I think there's something going on here. Let's take a, a quick break. And I want to talk about our next sponsor. And that is our good friends over at Luna Display. So have you ever looked at your iPad and this beautiful real estate that you have, maybe it's 10.5 inches, maybe it's 12.9 inches, and wish that you could use that as a second display for your Mac? Well, Luna Display lets you do just that. Uh, and it only makes sense, right? Because, you know, you've got this iPad, it's got a gorgeous display, and you could always use some extra space when working from your Mac. I'm looking at two displays on my Mac right now, but I don't have the luxury when I take my laptop on the go of being able to take this monitor with me. But I almost always take my iPad with me. And so Luna Display gives me the ability to run two displays on my Mac no matter where I am. Uh, Luna Display provides crystal clear image quality, reliable performance, and wireless flexibility. All you have to do is just pop this little piece of hardware into your Mac and you're good to go. And it doesn't matter whether you have a Wi-Fi connection or not. You just have to connect over USB. So when you're using Luna Display, you can set up your workspace anywhere. You can be productive at the office, in the studio, or on the go. I love using this, for example, when I'm sitting in a hotel room with my MacBook Pro and an iPad. It allows me to get work done just as productively as if I'm sitting on my regular setup at home because I've got my two displays sitting right there. You can get much more screen real estate without the expense of having a brand new screen because you can use the screen that you already have on your iPad. Luna also acts as a complete extension to your Mac. It's going to support your external keyboard as well as your Apple Pencil and touch interactions. So you can interact with your Mac with a swipe of a finger. Uh, the Luna display, I don't know how to describe it as anything other than just magical. Um, these people must have some wizardry because it was a super easy setup process. You just plug it in and it, it works. 
and it has improved my workflow because it allows me to get the setup that I'm used to having with all the apps exactly where they're supposed to be, no matter where I am. Listeners of Mac Power users can get an exclusive 10% discount on Luna Display by heading over to lunadisplay.com. That's L-U-N-A-D-I-S-P-L-A-Y.com and enter promo code POWER at checkout. Again, lunadisplay.com and enter promo code POWER at checkout. And our thanks to Luna Display and their support of the show and all of Relay FM. Whoops. Whoops. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. I have to tell you this uh, edit point. <laughs> I okay. have a, my, my watch told me I need to stand up. Actually, you know what? Just leave this in. This is good. So oh, as, as Katie was doing her ad read, I have the little um, mute switch on the floor where I step on it. And my watch told me to stand up. So I did the thing. I pushed the button, raised my desk up to, um, to, uh, to, uh, stand up. So my watch will give me the stand credit. And then Katie stopped the ad. And then I reached over with my foot to, um, to tap the mute button. And my other foot went the other direction. <laughs> I went gymnast on it. Did, did you fall down while podcasting? <laughs> no, I, no, I, no, I didn't, but I caught myself. But yeah, I don't know. All right. A little loopy here. Anyway, a couple days after the show publishes, Apple is going to have an event. And uh, we've all been waiting for new MacBooks and, and iPads, and it's the common wisdom that that's what we're going to get in a few days. Are you excited about this? I am excited about this because I will tell you, although I have been so much happier with my MacBook Pro ever since it's taken its little trip to Apple and back, I've just decided that we made a mistake and we were not meant for each other from the beginning. And I'm going to find it a good home. In fact, I think my brother wants it. I think he has his eyes on this MacBook Pro. So um, uh, I, I think my MacBook Pro is going to go off to another home. And um, I think, David, it is time. Have I wore you down? I, I think it is time for me to get a um, an iMac at, at, at home and to go iPad only on the go. I'm I'm ready to give it a try. All right. Join in the club. So just for the listeners that don't know, every time Katie complains about her laptop on the podcast, I text her links to the iMac website. So this has been a long campaign for me. My entire text conversation with David is interspersed with apple.com slash iMac. Apple.com slash iMac. <laughs> Apple.com slash iMac. Um, I will tell you, this is a big leap for me because... I have since I can tell you when the trade was since 2001. So 17 years I have used a MacBook Pro as my primary computer and almost my only computer. I made that switch in 2001 to a laptop and a, a notebook has been my primary computer since 2001. I made that switch with the 500 megahertz titanium power book. I think there's kind of some logic here, though, because that's about the time that laptops got powerful enough that you could use it as your your only computer. And now we're getting to the point where iPads are powerful enough that you can use it as your mobile computer. Um, I'm I'm scared, but uh, I I'm excited, and I I've pretty much resigned myself that um, if it doesn't work. And I think it will probably work. I, I don't travel nearly as much as I, I used to. Um, I, I'm not really in situations all that often where I have to have a laptop. 
I can do presentations and I can do most of what I need to do um, from an iPad. But I think if, if I find myself six months or a year or 18 months down the road and it doesn't work, I think that I will then probably buy a little MacBook Adorable. And probably not even the latest and greatest MacBook Adorable. I mean, I see deals for those on Woot all the time for like seven ninety nine or eight ninety nine. Yeah, but you're going to love that twenty seven inch screen every time you're sitting in front of it. I know. Um, I haven't decided yet. I, I mean, obviously, I don't know what Apple has announced. Nobody even knows that Apple is going to announce iMacs. I think the conventional wisdom is that it's going to be a speed bump. It's not going to be a revolutionary, um, you know, change to the iMacs. Uh, some some thought that they are probably going to have that T2 chip that is in the MacBook or the iMac Pros. I sure hope so. That's cool. That that some of that technology from the MacBook from excuse me from the iMac Pros are going to come into the regular iMacs, but but probably not as high level of technology that is in the iMac Pros. Um, but I hope that the T2 chip comes in. But otherwise, I think they're probably just going to be a speed bump. My inclination is, I mean, David, this is the most intensive thing that I typically do on my Mac. I, I'm not doing video production. Um, Mark does all of our audio production. I just need a really nice, uh, you know, Mac that I can do stuff on. I am probably going to buy the low-end iMac and then up the up the the RAM um, and then up the, the SSD. I'm not going to get a Fusion Drive, just get a 512 SSD and call it a day. I would um we're going to talk about this after the event. We'll 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 cover this in next week's show. But the um uh, I would encourage you to probably up your storage. And that's No, I'm going I'm going to get 512. Okay. But you think I need to go higher than that? I I'm I'm well, let's just wait and see. But I I think the thing is these iMacs last forever, so you know, you may find in a couple of years that the bottleneck for you is you're constantly running out of storage space. In fact, I'm just going to save that argument for next week. We'll wait. But the uh but just be ready because I'm going to tell you to spend more money on storage. Probably. It just – Apple still really pings you for that. I know they do. I know. It, it's, it's just – it's a little ridiculous. The um, – was the um, – and then also the big rumor for next week is uh, is is new iPads, you know, new iPad Pro. And it, like this is the worst kept secret. I mean the – just the, you know, the way they've moved things around in iOS 12 and – like the case manufacturers already have the new cases, and apparently the the iPad Pro is going to feel a lot more like the iPhone 10 than it's going to feel like the iPhone 9 and the iPhone 8. Um, so we'll see. You know, I'm I'm curious to see what they do. I, I don't know if I'll be. I mean, I'll I'll tell you next week. I I'm not necessarily sold. I have the original 12.9 inch iPad, which is still pretty good. You know, but the um, that one is kind of due for an upgrade, but. My 10.5-inch iPad, I think, is just fine. I've had that one about a year and a half, and it still rocks. I love my 10.5-inch iPad. Uh, I love, you know, I've, I've the, the one thing, and you told me this, and I will now admit that I have made a mistake. The, the mistake that I made is I did not get the, um, the cellular connection on the iPad. And there are probably a couple, maybe at least a half dozen, maybe more times a year where I really wish that I had the cellular connection. And I have not had tethering to the phone work as seamlessly as it should. Uh, I think if it worked as seamlessly as it should, it would be fine, but it does not work as seamlessly as it should. So maybe that's something that Apple could fix, you know, but I would consider updating. I mean, the next time I upgrade my iPad, I will get the cellular connection, 
but I just, I don't need a new iPad for any reason. I don't need more storage. I don't need more speed. I, I, I don't know. I use my 12.9 a lot these days because I don't have a laptop anymore. And that's something I would, I mean, I'm not telling you to run out and buy one, but I, it is interesting to me that now that I don't have a, a laptop, the 12.5 is 12.9 is a lot more attractive to me. And I don't even know if they're going to continue to make 12.9. So I guess we'll find out. Um, but anyway, it's always fun to see how Apple tells their story. So the event is on the 30th of June. Um, they're going to live stream it, I believe. And if you're listening to this show, I bet you'd probably enjoy watching it. Um, we, I'm going to announce it now. We did it last time. We had a thread in the talk.macpowerusers.com room where we were all just kind of posting comments during it. And it was really fun. Um, I don't know if we're going to keep it there or if we're going to find some other use for it, but the people in the talk.macpowerusers community are, are well thought and fun and not abusive. So if you want a safe place to watch it along with a bunch of nerds, I think that's a pretty good place. Uh, so I'll, I will make sure we get a link in the show notes to a thread. I'll start on that subject at least, and then uh, we'll see where it goes on the morning of the event. Anything else you're excited about besides, I mean, are you, I don't know. I, we may also get a new, the, the other thing we might get is we might get a new, you know, MacBook of some kind, a MacBook air replacement or yeah, I mean, I I think we're we're gonna cover it. So I, I rather I don't I don't really know what to think. I'm not interested in laptops at this point. You know, I'm still in my in my honeymoon phase with the iPad as as portable computer, and so I I'm not in the market for one. But I I think that there needs to be a replacement for the MacBook Air that is not a MacBook Pro, and um, I'm hoping that Apple's got the message on that and we get something really interesting. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Are we going to get new AirPods? Are we going to get finally this AirPad? You know, I don't know. No, I'm voting no on that. You know, we'll, we'll find out. You know, I, I don't want to spend a bunch of time today speculating because it's just a few days after the show publishes, it'll all be up. And who knows, by the time the show publishes, there'll probably be a bunch of leaks and rumors that, that, that spoil a bunch of it. But the, um, but we are definitely going to cover it on the show. Uh, we're going to record a show the night of the event so we'll have some talk about it. And I'm going to be working on, you know, convincing Katie to spend as much money as possible on her iMac. So you want me to not buy anything until we've talked? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I think for your own good, you should wait. I feel like the opposite of that is true. <laughs> you might make a mistake. I, I, have, I, I already know where I'm, I'm going to push you on storage space, but that's it. But if you wait a couple hours, it's not going to matter, Katie. It's an iMac. It's not like the next iPhone. Uh, listener questions. Peter wrote in, uh, when traveling, uh, either for the long haul flights or just the day trips, I always forget something. How do you prepare for a trip? Do you use a packing list app? And uh, this this went up on the um, on the Talk Mac Power Users site, and a bunch of uh, listeners wrote in with options. I feel like I need to do something better about this because I always think it's not going to be – first off – there are a lot of people who dread packing and it's never been that big of a deal for me. I'm the kind of person I could be packing for a day or I could be packing for two weeks out of the country. And I always pack like the night before and I'm never worried about it. I don't know, but I know people who get ready to go on a trip and they like agonize over packing for it's never, it's never bothered me that much. Yeah, and there were a bunch of apps recommended. I downloaded a couple of them, and they're they're really powerful. Triplist came up. Packing Pro is a good one. There's one called Packer with no e, P A C K R. Um, I you could do it with a recurring and uh, uh, list in OmniFocus or things. Um, I I'll tell you. I even though I looked at all of these, 
I still go to reminders for this. The way I do it, and I know this isn't very Mac power user-y, but it, it's, it works for me, is I have a list in reminders just called packing list. And every time I go on a trip, I go in there, and it's usually all checked off. There's usually nothing available. But you can look in reminders. They have a, a view called show checked off items or show completed tasks, I think it's called, something like that. And you go in there, and it shows you all the ones you completed. And so I've been running this list for years, so it's just full of things. You know, 12.9-inch iPad, 10.5-inch iPad, you know, camera, cameras, anything related to that, down to socks and underwear. You know, anything that I'm going to pack for a list. And I've gone to cold places and I've gone to warm places since I started generating this. So I've got uh, an entry for long johns. And um, it just depends on what trip I'm going on to. So I go through the completed tasks and I just uncheck all the ones that make sense for the trip that I'm planning. And then they show up on the list and then I check them off again and I'm good. And one of the reasons why I'm hesitant to leave reminders is I can share that list with my wife. So if we're packing together for a trip, we both see the list and she can like, if she gets the, you know, she gets whatever the batteries or the camera, she can check that off and I don't, then it's done for me. It's a, it's a pretty simple system. How do you do it, Katie? So uh, what I was going to say when I, is that I've never had that big of a deal with packing, but it seems like the last couple of trips I've been on, I've forgotten something minor. My, minor, like a small thing, but it's turned out to be a big thing. Just little things like one trip I forgot, like the um, the one connector that I needed to be able to plug in my um, uh, my um, my Amazon Fire TV to the to the hotel room TV. So then that didn't work. And then another trip I forgot my uh, my portable hotspot. But you know, so I, I finally have relegated myself that I'm going to need some kind of list. I do this in Apple Notes, so I just keep um, a list in Apple Notes with categories. And I have like a, t- you know, a clothes category, a tech category, a toiletries category. And I just have a list of things that I commonly take and I list them there. And now do you check them off or you just look at the list? I can check them off. It depends. Sometimes I just look at the list. It depends on the type of trip that I'm going on. So neither Katie nor I are using any of these special purpose apps. Sounds <laughs> like, but the, uh, some of them are cool. They'll, they'll even, some of them will make recommendations based on what you're doing. You know, they'll, you know, the app developers have said, okay, well, here's some things you would need typically for a trip. Um, the way I handle that is like when I'm going through to uncheck checked off items, you know, to create my list. I also always think about, well, is there anything particular to this trip that I've never written down before? And, that gets smaller and smaller the more often I use that reminders list, but but it works for me. Um, and, and the collaboration is so easy with with my wife that it's and and she gets that app. You know what I mean? She's not a super nerd, so if I try and get her on a separate application for the stuff, she'll never do it. But like we have a shared grocery list, a shared packing list, we have a shared list of gifts we're going to buy for people for holidays, and she's totally down with that. You know, she gets it, she uses it, and it's nice when. You know, your partner is in on the app. That means that when they check the stuff off, it checks off for you and it it works the way it's supposed to. So this next question is one that we get pretty regularly. I've I've tweaked it just a little bit. But Paul wants to know, what non-tech podcasts do you listen to? And I threw in the the non-tech part because I felt like if we listed the tech podcasts that we listen to, people's feelings would get hurt. That's a long list, too. (laughs) Yeah, that would be a, a long, long list. But, you know. You can 
check the various websites and they're probably the ones you think they are. But so let's I, I, I thought it would be interesting to talk to uh, specifically about the non-tech related ones that we talk about because we do have other interests. And you want to go back and forth on this? Yeah, we can. We can. Um, one that I have found um, fairly in- recently and I've been going back and listening to the back catalog is Revisionist History. It's by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell's written a couple of books recently and or a couple of books and uh, recently, he's gotten into podcasts, and his podcasts are like little bite-sized chunks of his books. And so what he does is he takes um, a thing about history that is misunderstood or something that you might not have known about, and he, for about 20 to 40 minutes, will dig into it. So I learned recently um, about tax exemptions for California golf courses and how that all happened. And I know that sounds very boring and dry, David, but it's kind of interesting. It's some weird stuff going on there. Yeah, no, it sounds like I'm always in for some some new information. But I also learned about like, you know, how McDonald's changed their French fry recipe and how that came about. I mean, so, I mean, it's all over the board, you know, and, and how and why that came about. And, you know, like McDonald's changed their French fry recipe in the mid 90s. So if you ate McDonald's fries like pre mid 90s. They were um, oiled in. They had beef beef talons in them, or um, the beef the the fat that they used to fry them in was like really bad for you. But it was so good. I remember reading like when they went to India because some of the food that they were using in their French fry recipe was religiously you know profane over there. The reason that they did it here was because of health reasons. So anyway, revisionist history. I, I enjoy it. What about you? I like those little ones. And, and I'll say kind of to cover all of these that I'm about to mention, I don't listen to every episode of any of them. I, you know, I, I, it just depends what I'm doing in my life as to how many podcasts I listen to. Of course, if you're listening to this show, you're always going to listen to Mac Power Users. But, you know, sometimes you can't listen to them all. But the uh, um, one that I really like, we had uh, Jocelyn Gly on the show uh, a couple months ago. She has this great podcast called Hurry Slowly which I just thought is just a fantastic little podcast um, and uh, easily digestible, good, good things to learn about, you know, talks about uh, like she just did one on thankfulness. And I, um, I just really like her tone and I like what she's doing with that show. And um, I, I enjoy listening to that one. It's funny for me, podcasts, like we hear from listeners where they say, you know, Mac Powers is what I listen to when I mow the lawn or when I drive to work on Monday. Um, I listen to Jocelyn when I walk. And uh, so I, I like the hurry slowly podcast. Um, I'm a little bit of a, a political nerd, and uh, I, I never talk about it on the show or on, on anything else, but um, I have been listening recently to Slow Burn. Um, I don't know if you've, you've heard of that. They they did a, a series one was all about Watergate, which was something that I did not know much about. I mean, I've seen all the president's men and that type of thing. Um, and then season two was all about the uh, the Clinton Monica Lewinsky um, era, and of course I lived through that and have very strong memories of that, but did not realize how much I did not know about that. So um, that was really interesting to listen. I, I don't know what season three is going to be about, but I can't wait for it. So much, so many options, Katie. <laughs> So many options. <laughs> I um, another one I would recommend. Uh, this is well, actually, this depends if you're a Star Wars nerd or not. But the Star Wars podcast is a show called Rebel Force Radio, uh, and it's very funny. And the two guys that do it have been making it longer than Katie and I have been making Mac Power Users. You know, that's what I like about that show. Is they were doing it 
out of passion before Star Wars kind of had this big revival that it's had. And they they know so much about it, but they also do it in a fun way. And I listen to that one. Don't listen to every episode, but I, I, I really enjoy their take on it. And if you like Star Wars, that's a good one. Rebel Force Radio. Um, another one that I've gotten into, I did not get in with the initial craze, but I've gone back and started listening is Serial. Uh, um, I've, you know, season one and two were more longer form stories about a specific case. Uh, season three is um, more of a, an, a, a exploration of the criminal justice system in general. Um, I it's 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 been interesting. Um, I kind of have to be in a specific mood for it. Sometimes I feel like it's a a little too close to home, and that it you know uh, is a a little too much like the day job to actually be entertaining to to get in. You know, sometimes you want to escape from from work related stuff. Um, I, even though I don't do anything criminal related, but still, it, you know, sometimes you're just like I don't I don't want to listen about law stuff. So, but it's 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 very well done. Yeah, I've got like zero tolerance for any law related media. So I don't I don't watch any TV shows or any of that stuff. I, I've had enough. Um the uh, another one I really like, it's a it's a show by a friend, Mike Schmitz, who's the co host of the Free Agents podcast, makes a great show with Joe Bulig, who who Joe Joe's the guy who put together the talk.macpowerusers.com uh, forum for us. But they have a show called Bookworm and they publish every couple weeks and the two of them read a book and then they talk about it on the show. And the books are always nonfiction. Um, they just did one on thankfulness. You know, that's a theme here, I guess, between the last, those, those like recommendations about how to be thankful and how it can, uh, Oh no, I'm sorry. They did one on the happiness project, how to be happy. And it's just good stuff. You know, it's, it's a little, you know, productivity kind of stuff. If that's not your thing, that's okay. But I enjoy it because I don't have time to read all those books and they do a really good job of summarizing them. And, you know, one out of every three or four is they talk about it enough that I'm like, oh, you know what? I might just want to read that book. So uh, Bookworm is a great little podcast that Joe and Mike have been doing for some time. And that's a, a true labor of love for them. They make a, a really great show. Um, another one that I listen to is Make Me Smart. It's with Kai Ristall and Molly Wood. I have listened to Molly ever since uh, Buzz Out Loud was one of my very first podcasts that I started listening to. I love that show. I miss that show so much. I wish it would come back, but I know that it won't. But um, Make Me Smart is got, a, I will say that it has a tech slant. It's a marketplace podcast. It's a tech slant usually, but it's not necessarily about tech. It usually is takes a kind of a, um, a a popular topic or something that's going on and it, it talks to you about it. They talked about cryptocurrency. They've been talking about market fluctuations. Um, it, it's just a way that you can sound intelligent about kind of an uh, ongoing topic. I will second that one. That, that's I listen to that show too. Um, the uh, Another one I like is the uh, guys over that make Basecamp, you know, uh, 37 Signals. Uh, have a show called Rework where they talk about, you know, kind of the workplace in 2018. And they've got some progressive ideas about how it should be run. And uh, it's called Rework. And I like it. That's a book that they wrote years ago, but they've continued it on as a podcast. Um, I listen to Michael Hyatt's new podcast, Lead to Win. It's um, more about leadership and how to be a good leader and particularly how to be a good boss and um, a lot of good tidbits. A lot of the stuff in there is not necessarily applicable to what I do, um, but a lot of good tidbits in there about uh, managing your time, um, managing others. It, it's it's a great show. I always enjoy it. I uh, here's the hippie one. You know, occasionally it sneaks out that I do a little meditation. There's a great podcast called Audio Dharma 
where uh, there's a it's it's up in Redwood City and you know I'm not you don't have to be Buddhist to listen to this stuff it's just good advice and there's one of the teachers there is a guy named Gil Fronstel and I think his uh, his lectures are very good about just kind of holding yourself together as you work through this crazy world and uh, I'd recommend Audio Dharma. All right. So the last one I'm going to give you is also an entertainment related podcast. It is the West Wing Weekly. Uh, it's uh, with Joshua Molina and Richie Case Herway. And it is um, they go episode by episode through the West Wing in order. And um, I have watched all of those episodes you know, many, many times. So I've, I'm at the point where I, even though I'm not necessarily rewatching the show every week with them, I know the shows well enough that when they start talking about them, I can, I, I know exactly where they are and I can get right there with them. And uh, to have Joshua Molina, who, you know, played, I, I want to say he played Jeremy, but that's, that's not right. He played Jeremy on Sports Night. Um, but to have Joshua Molina on the show, I think adds a, another extra uh, layer to it and both very, good podcast very well produced yeah that's a good one one of these days i'm gonna have to watch the west wing you have not watched the west wing you need to stop this podcast right now (laughs) and it's on netflix just go start right now start with season one and i think if you just did nothing else between now and the next time we recorded you could probably yeah just go put your pajamas on now and sit and do it but i've just promised that i'm gonna try and ship this next field guide in january no skip it skip it (laughs) I I, I do think I need to watch it. There's several people in my life who are rabid about West Wing. I know you're one of them, and I I just haven't got to it yet. One of these days. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Get 1Password version 7.2 for Mac. Head over to onepasswordcom slash MPU, and that's in all caps, to get 20% off your subscription to 1Password. Did you guys know that 1Password is now fully supporting macOS Mojave? They sure are, and that's including some really great support for dark mode. The gang at 1Password spends a lot of time thinking about the design of their app. I'm running dark mode right now, and 1Password looks gorgeous. Dark mode on 1Password 7.2 is throughout the system. It's not just on the lock screen. And it looks really nice in the content section. You know, one of the things 1Password does is it goes through and it pulls the logos for the different web services you sign on to. In my opinion, those look even better on dark mode than they do on light mode. This new version of 1Password is also even more secure than ever. They've added a couple of features that really make this great. One of them is the ability to get the Safari plugin working without running a separate plugin. I talked earlier on the show a few weeks ago about how Apple is dialing in security on macOS. Well, part of that is the Safari plugin system. And 1Password, of course, is one of the first companies there to be fully compliant with this new system. You don't even need to download a plugin. You just run the Safari plugin right from 1Password now. And of course, 1Password is also more secure with all of the features in macOS Mojave. For instance, Apple added the new notary service. 1Password is, of course, fully notarized. So it's a great new version, more beautiful than ever, and more secure than ever. If you want to get 1Password, head over to onepasswordcom slash MPU, and that's in all caps, MPU. Get yourself 20% off and let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Okay, I have to go back. So first off, Joshua Molina played Will Bailey in The West Wing, because I'll get feedback about that. And there are 156 episodes of The West Wing, David. So I feel like you could at least watch one a night for the next 156 nights. 
Oh, that's not possible. Yes, it totally is. They it just just get in bed or you don't have a TV in your bedroom. Get your iPad and then just watch one a night before you go to bed. I you know, I I'm not joking when I say it's it's unusual for me to watch like 2 hours of TV a week. Well, that's okay. We're going to watch 7, but they're only 45 <laughs> minutes. They're only 45 minutes long when you cut through the commercials. It'll be fine. This is this is something you need to do. I, I don't know, Katie. I'm just not sure. I don't want to promise. <laughs> Help me out here, folks. This is something he needs to do. Um. So we had some more feedback. Let's finish that up. Yes. Let's uh, let's finish up the feedback. Um. I um was talking about moving from Dropbox to iCloud. I think in our last episode of Mac Power Users, the MPU Plus episode, and um. Just in time. Um, I, th- I think our, our friend uh, Paul Kim was listening to that episode because he released a new version of Hazel with a new feature just for me. Or it's possible that he had this planned all along and it just happened to be a happy accident. But I'm going to go with the first option. Yeah, I think Paul, his, his uh, sun rises and sets by Katie. So I'm, I'm sure that's what happened. Right. Um, so we talked about I wanted to consider moving my, um, my statements library that we talked about earlier from Dropbox to iCloud. But I have all of these Hazel rules set up to uh, process documents um, and put them in special folders. Well, Hazel just introduced a relocate folder function, which makes moving your folder structure a whole lot easier because once you you find a rule, let's say, um, that saves something to my utilities folder, um, you go into Hazel, you find a rule that saves something to that folder. There's now an option to relocate that folder. And once you tell Hazel that folder has been relocated, it will change every single rule that's, that moves things to that folder. So I had to probably do this eight to ten times because I had eight to ten different rules that Hazel was moving things in that were Dropbox related. And once I went through and changed these and moved them and, and relocated those folder to the iCloud uh, place, everything was fine. Nice. Um, well, I, um, got some email from Jim and I, I think I blew it when we were talking on the show about how to pronounce Mojave. I, maybe I said Mojave and that is wrong. It's Mojave. So I was relying on you because you were the native California. Yeah, I know. I, I just, I just fell on the sword, Katie. And thinking back to my old days as a boy scout and Indian guides, we went to the Mojave desert. So I don't know if I misspoke, sorry. So I will try to make a point of saying Mojave as a Californian going forward. Thanks, Jim. We got a note from Don who wants to manage his email on the iPad. And he specifically references you, David, because you gave up your MacBook. And he's trying to do the same, but he can't figure out how to make his email system work. And after reading through his long email, I've I figured out what his problem is. And he says he has always used Apple Mail app um, that ships with the devices and his accounts are either exchange imap or icloud so all the email syncs there so we're good there but the issue he has that keeps him from being able to travel with the ipad exclusively is that he has always had mail rules file the incoming emails on their respective on my mac folders and then read them to an unread move them to an unread folder and he can't use those Uh, use those rules on an iPad because they're not in his inbox anymore. So here's all you have to do, Jim. And depending on uh, our Don, I'm sorry, the, what you need to do is you need to stop saving things in folders on your Mac. You can just as easily create or recreate your folder structure 
in the cloud service of choice. Don't create that folder structure within your email, within the Apple Mail application on your Mac. Instead, recreate that folder structure on the either the IMAP or the Exchange or the iCloud service, and instead have your mail rules filter things through there. And then I think that'll get you where you want to be. Although I would say that um, just saving things to multiple folders was was has been kind of a shady proposition for years on the Mac, and I think it's even more dubious on iOS because the mechanism to do that is you tap a button and it gives you a list that sometimes you have to scroll through. And it's easy to make an accidental tap in that scrolling action. And then you you end up moving it to the folder that you didn't expect to move it to. Or maybe you even move it to a folder you don't know which folder it went to because it scrolled by as you tapped it. You know, uh, The difference between a tap and a um, scroll is, is close enough that it's easy to make mistakes. So um, I would also look at, you know, maybe this is a good time to reconsider whether you really need folders. Or if you do need folders, do you need as many as you're using? If you can get the list down to enough that fits on one screen, it's a lot easier than if you have a bunch of them. And I'd recommend um, looking at services like SaneBox. I know they're a sponsor, but, you know, some, it's something that can automatically file that stuff for you. Sure would help. And um, if you've got a Mac at home you can leave running, you can still have those Apple rules um, going. Just leave Apple Mail open and leave your Mac running. Um, it can be still doing all that background filing for you. But if you put it on the cloud services, you'll see it on your iOS devices like Katie was talking about. Yeah, the key to being able to see these things on your iOS devices is to have those folders sync in the cloud. Now, one of Don's problems may be that he has multiple accounts and therefore he has multiple versions of this cloud folder structure, which I would say simplification is probably the way to go here. I I, I have gone a similar way to you, David, in that I have very few folders in my various cl- I, I have I have basically a, a work and a home email account now, and those folder structures are almost identical, but I, I basically just have an archive folder. And then on occasion, I will have some special purpose folders, but those are usually short term for a specific project, and then they go away. Uh, we also heard from Kurt on cable management, and he said, you know, we mentioned zip ties and gaffer tape, and for years, he's been using the little spring clips meant for ponytails. And as a father of two daughters, I know exactly what he's talking about. Um, they uh, they clip off and on with ease. They've got a lot of leverage on the back, you know, um, and they're inexpensive. You can buy them in big packs. You can get them at the drugstores. And um, from small cables to large extension cords, they can work to bundle things together. I thought that was a brilliant idea. And uh, while on the subject, he said a little rectangular plastic tags on supermarket bread bags are perfect for labeling the cable under your desk. And Kurt is just, he's just bringing it this week. And uh, he, so he writes the name on the little bread plastic, you know what I'm talking about, right? The thing you put on the end of the bread bag. And then twisty he puts, ties. Yeah. And he, it's not twisty ties. It's got a, like a little hole on it and it fits over the plastic. Oh, once okay. I know what you're talking about. So he yeah. writes the name on it and then he puts the tag on each end. So you've got a little tag on each end of, of which is which cable. I thought some great ideas. The, the other one that um, it reminded me is that um, when the girls were small, we had we'd buy these packs of like 100. We called them ponytails, but they're like fabric-covered rubber bands, which are also really good for this kind of stuff. But yeah, the, those little clips, I thought that was a good idea. So what are you playing with this month, Katie? Well, I, I'm not playing with anything fancy this month. Do you remember I had the lightning strike a little while ago that came through my coax cable line? 
um, I realized that I made a mistake. And when I moved a year ago, I forgot to, I left my um, coax surge suppressor at my old house. Well, good. That's good for your buyer, I guess. That's good for them, yeah, but not good for me. So that's that could be why. Now, I mean, obviously, if you have a, a strike that that hits close enough, and you know, it's it's going to go through it. But I realized, and I was very lucky that when I had that lightning strike that took out my cable modem, a lot of those things are going to come through coax lines. And so I realized with that that I did not have um, a surge suppressor on my coax cable coming into the house. So uh, I ended up replacing the modem. That cost me, you know, 75 bucks or so, but which in the grand scheme of things was not, you know, as bad as it could have been. But for seven bucks, um, I went and bought my uh, coaxial surge protector and now have that back in place where it belongs in my line. So hopefully next time we have a close call, the, uh, the coax surge suppressor will, uh, will do its job and, um, and I will save my modem, but they're a lot less expensive than you think. And hope, hopefully they'll, they'll help save your, your line. My pick is um, something, this is kind of a podcaster thing, but I'm really happy. I just got it in the mail today. Uh, the gang over at Elevation Lab uh, just released a new product. I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for Elevation Lab. I like the stuff they make. And um, they have one called the Anchor Pro. And I immediately ordered one. And it's just a big rubber hook that's got a really nice sticky piece on the back of it. And it you stick it to the bottom of your desk. And then when I'm done podcasting, I can take these big cans off my head and it wraps and it has a cable thing on it too. So I can wrap up my cable and just stick the headphones right under the desk and hang them on this hook. And then the next time I need to podcast with Katie Floyd, I just reach under and pull them out and I'm good to go. It's just a little like under the desk organization thing that I really like. And I'll put a link in the show notes to it. Uh, so uh, we have an Apple event in a couple days, gang. Uh, I will definitely put that link in the show notes about the uh, group where we're going to meet up. Anybody that wants to talk about the event when it goes down. And uh, we will see you next week. And hopefully Apple will have some interesting goodies for us. And we are going to spend all of Katie's money. Thanks to our sponsors this week. Especially thank you to our sponsors this week, since David apparently has plans for me. Uh, Gazelle, Omni, Luna, and 1Password. And we will see you all next time. Next time.